DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. We are brought to you in part by Mark Miller Subaru, bringing you DJ and PK. Time to bring in Riley Jensen, our college football insider, but we are going to make him flap his wings and fly today. Yes, he's going to have to get out of the comfort zone that is college football. How are you, Riley? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you doing today? Good. What? What happened to the other? Sorry, dude. He didn't like our arguments last week. What's going on? Is he all right? Uh, he's got a little personal situation. He's got to um, take care of. It's not so much him. You. Not so much him. It's thought, his wife. So he's, I thought, I thought he's being maybe, a good husband. I thought, maybe, I thought maybe it was you know uh, you know not mentally tough enough to handle our conversation. So. <laughs> You're just saying that because he's not here. You know he's like a snarling <laughs> dog that would just bite you by the ankle and not let go. He'd just, I mean, Maybe I take know. a chunk out I mean, of your calf. Listen, we had a healthy discussion last week. He's not here this week. I mean, and it was a competition, you know, and he won. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's true. He's not here today. So I, I think he feels it. like you're in the consolation bracket, and he's advanced to the championship semifinals. <laughs> All I know is his his best ability is availability, and he's not here today. <laughs> nice. <All right>. Nice. <laughs> hey, as we watch every sport in the world get played at the same time, it's this massive smorgasbord as everyone can't really make up for the four months of sports that didn't happen, but they're trying to make up for the four, four months of sports that didn't happen. So seeing all this stuff, I am curious as a mental performance coach, when uh, a team is having a really bad um, postseason run, and especially when it's outside expectations, you know, like the, the Twins, you know, the headline after their first playoff game, they lost to 17 straight playoff games. Okay, so you haven't performed well, but only a couple of those are on this group of guys, right? I mean, yes, they got swept in 2006, but so what? But that's part of the 17-game streak. What would you tell them? So it's really, really easy. My my personal opinion is that a lot of these streaks that happen, right, so you lose 17 playoff games in a row, you have a – you have a hard time against your rival in, in winning a game, all those kind of things. You, what happens is media, your friends, your family, all kinds of people start bringing up the fact that you haven't won 17 games in a row. right? right? And, and it becomes really, really easy to become focused on things that are out of your control. And look, control the controllables, all that kind of stuff has really, really become – kind of a cliche statement and and it actually kind of bothers me as a mental performance coach when I hear coaches like yeah we just went out there we controlled the controllables but that that phrase is important if you know how to do that and if you know what the controllables are so typically um what happens is extrinsic things start taking place that are really really difficult for people to manage instead of focusing on intrinsically motivated things or things that are within your control so you know, controlling your attitude, controlling your effort, and really getting into the present moment of the next pitch, the next play, the next opportunity to succeed is going to be paramount. And that's really hard to do. That's hard to do in any sport on any level, let alone as a professional, when everybody's reminding you that you've lost 17 in a row. So my my focus or my thoughts would be really focused on the present moment and who you are and what this team can accomplish, and I think I think the best you know I think the best coaches out there are really good mental performance coaches. I think they understand that, and I think I think a lot of them do a really good job. But it's tough when you're in organizations 
that are trying to pull out of that because you give power to what you focus on, right? We give power to what we focus on. If you go out every day, DJ, and you focus on all the ugly and all the terrible things that are happening in your life, you'll start to frame your life as ugly and terrible. But go out and you focus on the good and the things that are going well and the things that you do well, you'll focus on those things and and you'll find yourself more successful and more happy about the things that are going on. Why do the Denver Nuggets come back from a pair of 3-1 deficits when that very rarely happens in NBA playoff history? It happens, but there's like a dozen examples over 60 or 70 years, whatever it is. And why do they fall behind 3-1 in three straight series? Shouldn't one series have been 2-2? What are they doing down 3-1? How how does that happen? How much did they think themselves in and out of those situations? Well, I, I think the Denver Nuggets are, are an interesting, are, were a really interesting study during the playoffs because they were they were phenomenal at times and they were really bad at times. I mean, there was was it was it two blowout losses to the Jazz. Um, I think they benefited personally from a little bit of a, a, a refocus moment, an ability to like recalibrate when there was a little bit more time when <clears throat> there was a threat. And there was a possibility that maybe they weren't going to play anymore because I think the coaches and the players were able to just kind of to gather themselves and look at it again. Now I don't know all the reasons that you know maybe they get down three to one. Maybe it was matchups. Maybe it was some different things that happened as far as coaching goes. But it takes an incredible amount of staying in the moment, staying in the moment to be able to come back and not think like, okay, I got to get, I got to get. Um, three games back tonight, right? You just need to get the game back tonight, and you really just need to execute very highly on this play right here. And so that becomes so important to their their progress. Now, getting down in the next matchup, I, I think what happens with some players or with some teams even is that they become they they realize or they don't realize that they're slow starters because they're kind of feeling their way into the situation. And sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's you know sometimes you're going to have a championship team that doesn't necessarily dominate four to zero and everything because they kind of let the game come to them and they kind of let the, the answers reveal themselves and then as they start to get a feel for what's going on they're able to to make changes. Certainly, playing again with your back against the wall sometimes also can contribute to teams like really pulling together because they feel like look it's either up to us or it's up to no one. So inside of the locker room the three to one there's there's some things that are hard for me to answer that question it kind of depends and i don't mean to to cop out on that but i think some of the things that i've touched on are maybe some of the things that that they are going through but i'll say this about the Denver nuggets that team has an extreme amount of moxie and um their their ability to play when they're down is very very impressive and i think they're going to be tough to deal with because if they keep the core of this together, that's going to be tough to deal with because they know they can come back from literally any situation. Our college football insider, Riley Jensen, joining us. All right, let's get into your college football wheelhouse. Uh, you were a high school football assistant coach, offensive coordinator at multiple schools. You're a former quarterback at Utah State, so you probably watch these games a little different than us. What we have all seen is BYU just crush two consecutive opponents. Now, 
Maybe they're just going to roll through the season and crush everybody. We don't even know who they're going to play, right? I think Boise State's going to be on the schedule, but I can't guarantee it. Um, maybe Houston will be pretty good. They haven't played a game yet. They're coming off their first losing season in like seven years, so I don't know how back they are. Uh, so there's some question marks out there. But when BYU plays a difficult game, when BYU gets, you know, gets behind or gets beaten, where are people going to be attacking them on either side of the ball? Where do, you, where do you see a weakness that a really good team could exploit, or maybe an area that at least isn't as strong? What you know? Where can this BYU team be challenged when they are eventually challenged? Well, I I I, I will say this about BYU right now. I think this is a, a very well balanced team. I think they've been playing really well defensively. I think they've been playing well um, offensively. I thought. The performance by Zach Wilson on uh, Saturday night was was really impressive and kind of back to some of the flashes of brilliance that he showed in his freshman year. I like the consistency that's going on with this team, and I think there's an opportunity for this team to really win every game and win it quite convincingly. Like you said, we don't know all the games that are going to be on this schedule, but I think we ha- we have a pretty good idea that BYU is a good team. If I was attacking BYU. I, I think the thing, one of the things that you have to do right now, and 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 I think there's going to be some teams that can do this. Is number one, keep the offense off the field by running the ball. And I think um, you know Tonga is a very very difficult situation for a lot of teams, but there are teams out there that have great centers and great schemes that kind of can control him and make it so he's not so disruptive in the run game. And then we'll see if BYU can make all these plays with their linebackers. Now, I do think their linebackers are good. This isn't – I mean, I, I, I think to beat BYU is going to be a, a, a tough thing to do this year. But if I was trying to do it, I would control I, – I, you have to control the line of scrimmage. And their offensive and defensive line is shown to be really stout this year. But I would try and control it with a short passing game, mixing in the runs, keeping BYU's offense off the field, and then you've got to get some turnovers and some pressure on Zach Wilson. You've got to, you've got to cause them to make a few mistakes here and there. And then once you're ahead in that game, turn them into a passing-only team. Then you can pin your ears back, and you, and you can really come after them and see, see how good they are if, if, they, if the other team knows that they're passing on every down. Right now they've really been able to establish the run game and establish the play-action game. If you can take that away from them, I'm interested to see what BYU does. doesn't mean BYU can't do it. I mean, Zach Wilson is showing you know, extreme levels of accuracy and understanding of the offense this year and the ability to do that. But that's what I would try to do. I would try to, to ball control the offense with short passes and a good running game and keep BYU's offense off the field. And then somehow, some way, you've got to get turnovers early in the game and then I would just like to see what BYU looks like facing some adversity, maybe being down two touchdowns. I mean, if you can start fast on BYU, let's see what they're let's see what they're made of. If I was if I was coaching against them, but I look the reason why BYU is playing so well is because of their offensive and defensive lines. And until somebody comes in and shows that they're better offensive and defensive line wise, it's gonna be tough to beat BYU because they're winning in the trenches. Riley Jensen, our college football insider, joining us. Uh, so we know the Mountain West Conference is coming back, and it's now less than a month until they come back. What do you know slash suspect about your Aggies and where you might slot them in in the Mountain West Conference? Uh, 
Well, it's hard to it's hard to tell right now, right? Um, there's there's so many variables to you know Pac-12 teams, Mountain West Conference teams, how well they've been preparing, how how they've been able to stay mentally focused in the off season. I think the biggest question mark for Utah State right now is what is it going to look like at the quarterback position in a new system for whoever they go with. I mean, Shelley has shown that he can win Pac-12 games as a game manager, right? And I think the University of Utah football program is good enough to win games with a with a with a man with a game manager. Is Utah State that program? I, I don't know yet. Um, you know, it's interesting because as an Aggie fan, you you start to watch the Aggies, and you you kind of complain about a seven and six team last year, and that's that was a really good season in my era. <laughs> I mean, we we went six and six my junior year and went to the humanitarian bowl, and you would have thought that we'd turn the whole program around. And now seven and six, the expectations are different. And I think that's a healthy thing for Utah State. I think uh, Gary Anderson alluded to the fact that he would have rathered seven games instead of eight because they're going to be playing them all in a row. I think that speaks to depth. I'd be interested to see what the depth is for Utah State. Um, and I think we'll find out fairly quickly in the first two games what their depth looks like. But without seeing them on the field, it's hard for me to make a prediction on, on where they're going to be, other than I have high expectations for the Utah State program, and I, and I really expect Gary Anderson and his staff to do well because, because they're great coaches. Any sense on how the Pac-12 is going to shake out, or is that really a big old question mark? <sighs> Boy, I... I it's just so it's just so hard, and I, I and I don't mean to. I, I'm really not trying to like punt the ball here, uh, metaphorically. It's really really hard. I, I would assume that maybe the California teams are going to be a little bit behind some of the other teams that are in the conference just because of restrictions in the state, and maybe Oregon and Washington teams on on the West Coast maybe. Maybe Colorado, the Arizona teams, and, and Utah have a little bit of an advantage because of that. But I really feel like all these teams will come together. It's going to be it's going to be a question of how fast they can come together after having not been able to practice in the format. I, I mean, one of the things that's really tough for coaches that I don't think people completely understand right now is that the people who are making decisions and deciding like what kind of format you can practice in they don't understand football they don't understand how a football campus works and so when you put when you put limitations on a team and you say okay so only 11 people can be on the field at any one time together well you can't even practice you can't even like really you might as well you might as well just go and lift that day i mean the frustration for coaches is is at a paramount in different places because they really haven't been able to practice. And and when Ken Niamatololo was talking about the fact that he wasn't able to practice, um, he he's not kidding, right? And it's it's I I'll tell you this: my hat goes out, or, or my my uh, my appreciation has really gone up for these coaches because it's so difficult to practice when. Not only are the rules kind of, you know, and, and everybody's trying to be safe, so that's not the question. The question is, how do I practice effectively and still put a winning team on the field? And then the other thing that coaches are, are struggling with is 
and I know that this is true on the high school level here in the state, and I know this is true on the college level, you'll lose a guy on Thursday night. You play Friday. You practiced all week with that guy, and then he's gone. He's got COVID, and contact tracing has forced you to lose four other guys that have been practicing all week. You weren't even able to get the guys reps that are going to play in the game, and then you got to play a game the next day or in two days. It's almost impossible to prepare for. And so these guys these guys are doing a phenomenal job of coaching that are winning games in this COVID environment. I, don't, I do not envy coaches right now at all. I would say the one thing to advise to all coaches, and you're right about the limitations different teams are facing, um, I've had a couple people tell me that Fresno State – has had major limitations, almost to the level of Stanford with sending everybody home. And so when you're trying to figure out how many games a school is going to win, first off, what are the Mountain West and Pac-12 schedules going to look like? You know, who do you play and who do you miss? And then you can't just know the talent and the history and the tradition like we do in a normal year. We've got to know who's been practicing to what level, who's been meeting to what level, and you got to try and factor all that in. But one thing I would tell all these coaches is move everything outdoors. Team meals need to be outdoors. Set up tables outdoors. Notre Dame has all these positives, and they traced them back to the meal. Now, I'm not sure how they traced them back to a team meal, but I would assume that a school like Notre Dame has seating charts for where guys eat, and maybe guys were sitting around a couple of tables are the ones who tested positive. You know, there would be ways possibly to know. But I'd be moving everything outdoors. Outdoors is safer than indoors. To your point about the practices, I don't think the practices are where the problems are. It's going over to guys' uh, apartments for movies or for a gambling night. It's a team meal indoors. It's traveling on buses and planes. The teams that charter, to me, have a major advantage at a school over the teams that fly commercial. You know, and so it's those moments that you need to manage. That I you never eliminate all the risk. It's not going to happen, but you can bring the risk way down. Well, I, I think you're exactly right. I think going outside has been key for a lot of the teams right now. Um, I think as you move into October and November in some of the states, it's going it to be harder. really, really difficult. Yeah. It gets harder. Right? Yeah, and, and I think a lot of coaches have done that. I know just from being around the Weber State program as much as I am, I'm, almost everything is outside, right? And that's what they're doing to try and avoid a lot of this. But I think you're right. It's very, very hard very hard to control. I mean, this is this is the plight of a college football coach, right? Your your livelihood depends on eighteen to twenty three year olds, sometimes <laughs> yeah. eighteen to twenty four year olds, right? And and being able to talk to them in in no uncertain terms that, you know, getting together for a, a gambling night could be detrimental to the team. Right? Yeah. And I'm not I'm not being critical of Zach Wilson and his teammates for doing that. I'm just saying like you have to use some diligence right now as players and as a person who wants to perform at a high level and have a chance to play on the next level. And so if the message isn't shared correctly, it's difficult um, to manage those guys when they're in their free time, right? It's just, it's just really, really difficult. Yeah. Have you even read about some coaches moving weights outside? Which I think the bigger and fancier weight room is, the harder that becomes, right? I think that's where like a Division II program is kind of like, well, we're just in a shed with roll-up doors. You're like, well, that's actually an advantage right now, as opposed to have some glassed-in $2 million room you know, that looks awesome. But how do you move everything outdoors? Oh, we just rolled up the garage door. <laughs> wow. 
trust me, uh, when when a Division One team feels like that's an urgent thing, it doesn't take long to get a whole football team to move a whole weight room out. Right? Back. Yeah. Right. If you're <laughs> if you're properly motivated, you can get it. You can get yeah. a lot of stuff done. Yeah. So. I've, I've seen as Weaver State was building its new North end zone facility, uh-huh. it was amazing how many places that weight room moved and how quickly it happened with the whole <laughs> football team helping. That was that was incredible to me. In fact, awesome. it became their CrossFit workouts, right? Yeah. In some ways. Like, okay, you got to move this a mile down the street. <laughs> okay. And keep a 45-pound weight above your head as you're walking, you know? <laughs> right. Today, we're moving the weight room to the D Event Center. Tomorrow, exactly. we're moving it back. People exactly. living in that neighborhood, I don't know if you know the way Weaver State's laid out, but if you're living in the neighborhood, you're like, what is going on? <laughs> They're like, this is what it takes to win Division One football games. That's what it takes. So Jay, Jay's up there with coaches, and they're in the meeting actually laughing amidst all the stress, right? They're like, I never thought moving the weight room to the D event center was going to be a difference maker, but I'm liking it. Uh, yeah. Hey, hey, listen, half uh, to me, half of conditioning and weightlifting is all about mental toughness anyway. So it's about like, do you think in your head in the fourth quarter that you worked harder than the other team? Yeah. It, it, part of it is just mental toughness. You know right? who sold that really hard was Urban Meyer, and I never heard it sold before. But my gosh, he sold that nonstop. It's like, all right, I got it already. Quit telling me. But he didn't care about me. It was about it was about pushing that to the front of a 22-year-old's brain, you know? And so oh, yeah. if he wears he out the media in the process, so what? <laughs> he used the media and he used everybody else to, to push – his narrative probably better than any coach I've ever seen. Nah, Pretty the, incredible how he was able to do that. The best coach is coached through the media. I completely I remember that. Yeah. I remember him calling out wide receivers on your show. Yeah. Live. Like by name. And I was like, <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. That was <laughs> brutal. You know? But it's I guarantee you that guy heard about it yep, within it's, minutes. It's you know? cycling back through friends, through family, through roommates. Yep. It's it's just constantly coaching. Even when he's not around him, he's coaching them. So. Exactly. All right, Riley, exactly. we appreciate it. Hey, thanks for a few minutes. I love it. I love coming on. Thanks for having me.